Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Farming for Passive Income show, where we strive to educate the agricultural community on investing in commercial real estate passively and growing their business. Today, we are joined by Melanie McDaniel. Um, she is the founder and freestyle founder of Freestyle Capital Group, a boutique private equity firm, and the basically the creator of the Freestyle Fund, a customizable fund, which is very interesting. We'll have to talk about that later. Um, she partners with passive investors to invest in equity real estate um, transactions across a variety of asset classes, um, operators, geographies, and various investment strategies. So very diversified there. Melanie offers, yeah, very much diversified opportunities and aims to have a personal relationship with each investor. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. So this is interesting. I mean, freestyle fund. I went to your website. You like traveling. And then I was like, freestyle. Does she like rapping too? Are you just rapping all across the world? Or what's going on there? So freestyle is a combination of financial freedom, lifestyle design, because, you know, I had a W-2. I worked for the government. I was trading my time for money and then read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Of course, it's a journey. A lot of people read that and you can't unread that book. And then I decided I'm an entrepreneur and an investor, and I wanted to create the money I make around the lifestyle, not the lifestyle around the money. So, um, yeah, that's why financial it. freedom, lifestyle design, freestyle. It, it <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But also, I mean, if you want to freestyle rap on the show, I'd say go for it. I definitely don't. <laughs> <laughs> So you were in the military, right? Yeah, Navy. Navy, cool. So you want to tell us a little bit back, like, a little bit about your about your background, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. Normal, raised, you know, family, whatever. I grew up in Utah, Salt Lake City uh, suburbs, and went to school. I was school was pretty easy. I got good grades. You know, I kind of thought I should go to college, but then met uh, someone in my life that um, was pretty important. She had done the army. So I thought, oh, that's a really great way to go travel the world. The only thing I cared about was traveling the world. Okay. Um, I knew I needed to go to school at some time, but at some point I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be under my parents' wings anymore. As far as finances, I wanted to be on my own two feet and I wanted to go to school eventually. And I didn't want to go into debt for school. So it just, everything led to go to the military. Mm-hmm. The last thing on my list of reasons to join the military was to serve my country, but <laughs> It was there. I, I did it. Okay. <laughs> no, I really just wanted to not be a broke person. I wanted to go have life experiences and it worked because I joined the Navy. I graduated high school a year early. Actually, I was 17, joined the Navy, went off to boot camp, and my first duty station was in Italy. So lucky you. Mission accomplished. I got yeah. to travel. <laughs> We're in Italy. And, huh? We're in Italy. We're in Italy. Oh, yeah. Gaeta. So it's between Rome and Naples. And Mm-hmm. I think there's still a ship there. The flagship was there. Naples is a big port. Sicily has a big naval port. But Gaeta at the time had a little, the ship and it had a little GS, like, I can't even remember what it was called, but a little um, military base, but it's not there anymore. The the GSA Gaeta, but the, there is a ship. I think the Mount Whitney is still there. Okay. Interesting. And so you did that for a while and then. Four years I did that got out, decided I needed to go to college. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Well, what do I like to do? Uh, 
and I was making a list and my first thing on my list was travel. And then that was the rest. There was nothing else on my list. I thought, okay, so I studied travel. I studied hospitality and travel administration. I have a bachelor's degree in that. <laughs> I went to Metropolitan State University of Denver, graduated college, moved to Hawaii. I became uh, like a deckhand or a, a mm-hmm. co-pilot on the tourist submarine in Waikiki. Did that for a while and realized, okay, this is not a corporate letter I want to climb. Then I kind of went back to my roots of my dad had worked for the state of Utah. He worked for the prison system. And his wife uh, at that time, who was the one who, you know, had been in the military and kind of followed in her footsteps. She was a park ranger for the National Park Service. So I'm like, well, I could do that. So I ended up becoming a park ranger. I was a federal officer for nine years. And that was great until I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and realized I was trading my time for money. And honestly, I internally knew that I was really unfulfilled. Mm. I needed a challenge. Yeah. And it wasn't challenging at all. I just, I don't know. And then um, after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, I got into bigger pockets, spent many hundreds of hours on the taxpayer's dollar driving around listening to bigger pockets. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still honest. doing your job. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I was on patrol. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I would go like on a foot patrol, go hiking in the mountains. It's like a Saturday. Like, where will the people not be? That's where I'm going to go. So I would go and I would literally listen to the podcast. I was hiking on, on the job. I, I'm just being honest, right? I was miserable. Hey, that's, I was miserable. Honesty is not, number one, right? No, if you think about jobs, and, and I don't have the data for this, but I've heard in an eight-hour day, of a job, you typically get two hours out of your employee. Whoa. Really? On I any have not job. I've heard that statistic. Like two actual hours of real work. The rest of the time, especially with phones now, social media, water cooler, chit chatting, shooting the crap with your coworkers. Yeah. You know, surfing the net. It's They've done studies on this you get about two hours out of an employee unless they're an entrepreneur, right? They're building their own thing. They constantly work because it's their dream. So I was very internally, I knew that that was not fulfilling and morally, right. I I felt bad about it. Yeah, I did. (laughs) But at the same time I was miserable, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it and I didn't have a solution for it until I read that book and realized, Oh, I can build my own wealth. Oh, I can build my own, uh, like, you know, the, the the, quadrants, the quadrant. Yeah. So I was employed obviously. And then, um, I was, my next step was being a real estate agent, which is self-employed. I knew I still had to trade my time for money, but at least I could build the business, which I did. I built a team and they started making money, which paid me. And then dabbling, stepping my toe into the investor realm where my money made my money because I started making money and, and investing. So it was a journey over, well, two, it took me two years to pull the plug to go from reading the book to just leaving the job, becoming the real estate agent. Yeah. Huge mindset shift. Huge. Because it's not always about the doing. Sometimes it's in our brain that holds us up in life. Like um, So yeah, real estate agent, two and a half years. And then I wanted to be nomadic. I wanted to sell all my crap, work from a computer anywhere in the world. So from agent to doing that, I realized, okay, I need to go bigger. I need to go all in on investments, but I still need to make money. So that's where this whole freestyle 
capital group thing came in and the fund eventually is, okay, I'm going to buy large apartment complexes. And my job on that team is, you know, finding the deal, talking to brokers, finding apartments. And I did that once and I hated that. But you know what I like? I like talking to investors. I like providing opportunities to people to build wealth who maybe they're in a job that they love. Maybe they're following a different dream that they love, but they need to put their money to work in real estate and they don't love real estate like I do. I love introducing this concept of the passive investing to people where, especially in real estate, you get not just the cash flow, the appreciation, you get the depreciation. All, you know, there's so many benefits. Yep. Your tenants paying down your mortgage, which one day when you sell, you get to recapture. There's so many benefits. So teaching people about that, that was my passion. And that I can do on the road from a computer in Thailand, which is what I did. <laughs> so, nice. Um, crazy yeah, hours, I'm my, sure. My journey, but the intention all along, we get this one life, right? And life it isn't that long. When you're a kid, it feels long, but when you're, I'm 40 now, like my life is half over potentially. And we get this one life. Well, arguably we get one life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and you want to make the most of it. We're not here to you know, work and just work and then survive, right? We're here to build a life. And then the work is the tool that gets us the other tool, which is the money and the money or the currency is just this tool you know puts us on the matrix so we have to participate in this matrix that we live in but you know that's okay it's a game figure out the game play the game and now go build that life that you designed and that's the whole concept to me I wanted to continue working because I enjoy working but I still need to make that the money for the tool while I build the wealth so one day I don't have to work yeah I'm all over the map right now did that answer your no, question I, I, it, <laughs> answered a lot of questions and it's intriguing because I, I kind of, I agree with you that it kind of felt like once I read the purple book, just like you, and then I, it just kind of clicked because I have a background in finance. I understand financial statements. And so I had that background and then I read the book and I was like, Oh, this is, this is why real estate, this is why millionaires are made off of real estate. Like basically the number one asset class in the world bar none yeah. highly and analytical then, there's really it's not subjective it's not an emotion at all it's just data it's very yeah. simple business model right yeah, yeah. It, it's a great it's a great vehicle and yeah i couldn't agree with you more on like wanting to hop in it and then educating your investors as well so how did you get your fund up and running like how did what did that process look like after you were a real estate agent? Yeah. So from agent, the next step was um, thinking I was going to buy apartment complexes and manage and operate them. But it's hard to manage and operate a, an apartment complex when you're all over the world. So I knew it would take a team. You know, it takes more than one person to take down a large asset. So I thought, okay, what are the jobs on the team? The jobs to buy a large piece of commercial real estate is someone finds the deal Someone does all the due diligence, all the underwriting, gets it to the closing table. You have guarantors, you have people with money, you have, you know, putting all of that together. And then once it's closed, now you have someone who's managing the asset. They're putting the business model into place. They're managing the property manager, they're managing the construction manager, and you're putting that business model in place to force the appreciation. So one day you sell and you return your investors a bunch of money. 
Mm-hmm. And of all of those jobs, if I don't want to be tied to a geography, the job I can do is investor relations, raising capital for the deal, uh, maybe some secret shopping or vetting or, you know, attending meetings and being just another brain in the room to like have ideas and, and just hold my thumb down on the operators, making sure they're doing their business they're supposed to be doing. So that's what I lean towards. So I, I launched out the gate, just trying to do partnerships where my main job on the partnership was to raise capital. But because I was new in the business and I couldn't say, oh yeah, I can raise a million or, oh, I can raise half a million or, oh, I can raise three million. I had no idea how much money I could raise, right? Until mm-hmm. you do yeah. it, you have no idea how much you could raise. So nobody wanted to bring me on. And a good year and a half went by. Plus it was COVID, by the way, that really slowed some things down. It was a year and a half from when I launched Freestyle Capital Group in January of 2020, got my business up and running, got my YouTube channel going, which don't bother going there because there's nothing going on at the moment with that thing. I'm definitely going there now. (laughs) I mean, I haven't posted a video in over a year. (laughs) I need to get, I need to do it because I have so much to say. Anyway, um, you know, get the website up and running. <laughs> get the CRM in place, start talking to investors, do the newsletter, all that crap, right? That was the beginnings. It just takes time to do it. You could do that from anywhere in the world. That's why I was in Thailand. Launch the business. Now I'm going out and talking to operators saying, hey, pick me, pick me. I want to do, you know, raise capital. Plus building the, the investor database a year and a half before I did my first deal. Luckily, when I was a real estate agent, I had built a team and I still, you know, when they closed a deal, I would make money. So I had this nice runway plus a bunch of savings to get me through that dry spell of a year and a half. I literally had no income except for my agents back in Virginia. Going all Um, in. Huh? Going all in. Oh, it was all in. And I'm all in again right now, actually, because I left the agent thing, right? Did, Did the capital thing. And now I've launched the fund. So it's every time I like start getting traction on something, I just go stir it up again and do the next <laughs> thing. And it's yeah. not the next thing because it's a shiny object. It's just a progression as you right. go, right? Because I wouldn't have ever, in fact, I said back then, I would never start a fund. I would no, I have no business starting a fund. I would say that back when I did my first couple of deals. But now I'm like, I get it and I get why a fund works and I'm now doing a fund. So the fund allows me to not just do one deal with an operator. But now I can do diversified deals, different operators, different geographies, different um, investment strategies. So if people are looking more for cash flow, then you're going to put them in a debt note, or you're going to put them in triple debt, or you're going to put them in storage. If they want appreciation, you're going to put them in value-add multifamily. You're going to put them in things that you can force appreciate, right? So they can diversify their portfolio. But the fund model helps me save my investors a lot of costs because there's a lot of legal costs every time you do a deal. Uh, especially if you're doing um, individual funds or whatever. So the fund, I can run it really lean, but still provide that diversified experience. And my fund is in a blind fund. And this is the difference when I said I would never start a fund. Blind funds are a little scary to me when you invest with someone because they can go buy and sell whatever they want. For me, every deal, it's almost like a mini syndication where they get to pick and choose only the deals they like. And then they're building their their own pie chart. So if you think of Robin Hood mm-hmm. for stocks, you go buy some Google, some Apple, some healthcare, some you know, minerals, whatever. You create your own little pie chart, right? Well, they can yep. do that in my fund with real estate. So they can have some triple net in there, some storage, some apartments. Maybe they only want to 
invest in Texas. So they only look at Texas deals. Maybe they want to be diversified across the nation. Who knows? Um, so that's what I created, but it took doing a few deals. It was tough at the beginning when finding operators that will take me on, but then, you know, the struggle of raising the capital. But once things get into motion, you get, you know, a name for yourself, you, people are happy with the investments, then the most, lo- the next logical step is to create the fund. So it's mm-hmm. everything's just a progression, constant learning and being open to be a pioneer sometimes in some of the like this diversified fund. There aren't a lot of people that do this uh, because it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's harder. It's, it takes a certain amount of software and, and risk investing up front in, in the platform. But I just believe if I were an investor and I just want to be passive, I love my job, I would want to be diversified, especially now with the economy. Um, I don't want to just be all in, in apartments, although I think that's the bread and butter. I don't want to be all in one market because if it's Vegas or whatever and, and a whole industry gets taken out because of COVID, now you're at risk. I don't want to be just in uh, cash flowing assets and not building appreciation. You know, so anyway, that's kind of, it's, it's just been a journey along the way. And yeah, I've, I will say like a mindset sort of thing, starting back in 2015, when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I also read another book called The Power of Now, which was also life-changing, has nothing to do with real estate and just more of the mindset stuff, is being open to new ideas and being willing to pivot when an opportunity presents itself. I love that. So... Yeah, that's been my journey. And who knows what will be the next thing? <laughs> yeah, who knows? I'm excited to, to see for sure. So when you were before the fund started, you were investing in single asset deals. So you were kind of, did you do like single entity or were you a, were you, were you a partner as a general partner raising capital for them? Or what did that look like? And I've done everything. So the journey was my first real investment was I don't, I didn't have any money in the deal. I just found the deal. It was a 24 unit apartment complex in Norfolk. I was a real estate agent at the time marketing for quadruplexes. Cause a lot of my uh, military guys, well, guys and gals wanted quadruplexes. They want to live in one unit, rent out the rest, right? House hack using their VA loan. And they can do that with a quad. So I, I sent a letter campaign specifically in this one area for this one guy for uh, quads. I sent 56 letters one time. I found three quads off that, sold it. But this one guy's like, I have a quad, but I also have a 24 unit. Do you um, have someone for those? I'm like, uh, that's me. I do. B, I buy those. Because <laughs> I knew I wanted to get into apartments. So I went to my my RIA meeting, the Real Estate Investor Association, right? Every market kind of has these RIA meetings uh, groups. And my intention for that day was to find a partner. And I met this guy, Keith, and his wife, Susu. They, um, he was a Navy captain, like an 06. They had money they needed to put to work. I had a deal and the rest is history. So that no money down has turned into about a value of 80 grand over the last two years. We actually got an unsolicited offer on the apartment just a couple of weeks ago. We're going through um, negotiations right now. So that may be done and that's about $80,000. $80, And I had no money in the deal because I knew how to structure it. I knew my value 
and I found the deal. Um, another deal, it was just a $50,000 passive investment. That one is now, in, that was in 2019, December. And that one is now going full cycle. We're under contract. We bought it for 18.1 million. It's under contract for just over 37 million. So with leverage, that's about a three X yep. in two years. Yep. Wow. Nice work. That's the luck of the draw in the market. That is not a lot of skill. That is just mostly, compressed mostly cap rate market. Yeah. <laughs> and increasing rents. I mean, everyone's a genius that has done real estate in the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, seriously. So that was <laughs> everything I think is just luck right now. But that's okay. So those were the first two. My next one, which took a year and a half later, um, I created an SPV, a single purpose vehicle, which is a fund. It's a, a fund structure to raise capital for a specific deal. And it's a 108 unit in San Antonio value add multifamily. So me and a couple of partners, because I didn't know how much money I could raise. They didn't know. We're all new. We formed an SPV, raised a million bucks and put it in that deal. So that was the first deal we did. Um, and then, yeah, ever since, since then, I've done a couple of co-GP deals where I was brought on to the actual GP team, raise capital and have some other jobs as well. So I've done a triple net in Longview, Texas. Um, I have a, let's see, there's got to be something else, but there was at least one more and I can't remember. But then I launched the fund and in the fund, I have uh, a, a deal in Tucson that I've raised for. I have a deal in Savannah, build to rent deal in uh, Savannah, Georgia that I've raised for. I just wrapped up a raise on a 184 unit in Houston and working on the next one, which might be a debt note or storage. Um, but to answer your question, I've done it all. Every deal is different. And that's what I love besides helping investors invest their money. I love structuring deals. <laughs> I'm figuring out how to make it a win for everybody and putting deals together. I see an opportunity. I see people with certain skills or, or whatever and putting everything together and somehow getting paid in the middle, but not, not to the detriment of my investors or, or the operators, right? I want it to be a win for everybody. I mean, obviously I need to be compensated for what I do, but I care more about an investor mindset. I want equity. I don't want to, don't, I don't want just, to be paid and that's it. I pay a lot of taxes on that money. I'd rather get paid passively like everybody else. And then you don't have taxes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or yep. at least a different tax bracket, right? It's all part of the game. The taxes are a huge piece of it. So I just do anything and ev everything. The fund makes me a little bit more agile. That's why I went the fund route. But outside of the fund, I do my own stuff and have my own partnerships. I'm looking at short-term rentals and I'm looking at co-living because of the nomad that I am and generation millennial and generation z who don't get you know they're not getting married as soon a lot of us are not having kids many of us haven't locked in a geography we move a lot and we're missing out on the opportunity to own real estate 80 percent of our nation's wealth is in real estate specifically your primary home well i've never bought a home that i lived in i bought homes other people live in but me, Melanie, I have never bought a home because I move all the time. I'm not married to any geography. I've never gotten to a point where I'm like, I want to buy a house here. This is my forever home. Never. So I want to provide an opportunity to those generations who want this lifestyle. Because you know, I'm big on lifestyle. They can invest in a fund that owns all of these houses that they rent rooms from. 
And now they can live a month in Boise, a month in Austin, a month on the 30A in, in Destin, Florida, a month here or there. They're going to pay rent, but at least they know that some of the rent they're paying is going to equity in a portfolio that they own equity shares in. So that's kind of my dream right now. I'm trying to create and put into place. So looking for my first property in Austin, because that's where I live, um, that is like five or six bedrooms and can rent out the rooms. And eventually I'll launch the fund where those people can participate in owning shares of the, the places they rent. I love that. That's like built to rent 2.0. I, um, or not, I don't I'm even not, know. I've never, it's, it's, it's really just, smart. I think it's a kind of a new concept. I'm, I'm sure it's not new. Like, and, and everyone I've brought it up to is like, Oh my gosh, it's such a great idea. Why hasn't anybody done this? I think there are, there are some co-living communities that are starting to do it, but nothing's really taken traction yet. Cause honestly, the lifestyle hasn't taken traction in the U S if you go overseas, or you Google digital nomad or whatever, you will find all sorts of nomad houses, entrepreneur houses, incubator houses. Go look at Madeira in Portugal. What are the islands out there? There is a community of these you know, people from all over the world that come and live there for a month, two months, three months. Like you're in Holland, you said, and I asked you earlier if you were a digital yep. nomad. Uh, and you're not because you work for a company. But there are yep. people that will move to Portugal, find a place, a furnished place, live in it, I mean, some people look for Airbnbs, but that gets expensive and it gets lonely. If you're traveling, wouldn't you want to move into a house where there's six other people like-minded and you get your furnished room and you share common spaces? Like in the US, I really feel like this is the leading edge. Like short-term rentals were the leading edge, right? In the last five years or so, short-term rentals are getting a lot of exposure. I'm thinking co-living is the next edge. Mm-hmm. So not only is I want to solve that problem for the co-living, but I really want people to understand that wealth is built by owning real estate. And if you are a renter, which our nation is becoming a renter nation, because it's expensive to buy a house. If you can own equity shares and still have a lifestyle where you can move around and part of your rent, you know, is going toward equity in your investment. At least you can build that wealth. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can have your lifestyle <laughs> yeah. and earn equity. So I'm just, I'm just trying to, they say, right? The, the people who make the most money in the world solve problems. I'm just trying to solve a problem. <laughs> exactly. And you're having fun doing it. It's very niche. It's not for everyone, for sure. Right. So yeah, no, I, I love it. It's fun. It's yeah, it's that part of me that loves to structure deals yeah and coming up with this idea is like oh my gosh it's so much fun I love it <laughs> how do you yeah so how do you think about the next two years of this concept is it going bigger like you got a six six unit is that one property so you're planning on just adding house. So it depends. There's a couple levels of co-living. Some co-living is just room rentals, right? Uh, and they'll teach you, if you follow anyone that does co-living, just basic room rentals. They're like, oh yeah, take a house with 2,500 square feet, has five bedrooms, you add some walls, and now you all of a sudden have eight bedrooms. And I'm thinking, ah, that's real small, tight, whatever. What I'm trying to create, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. There's ways you can make money doing that for sure. And there is a need for room rentals, affordable housing. 
Um, but what I want to create is kind of higher end. It's more of like luxury co-living where you have a huge bedroom, probably ensuite bathroom. You have a pool. You're in a cool town like Austin. You're, you know, or you're out in hill country next to all the wineries, one of the two of, of the Austin area. And it's higher end. And you're going you're gonna to pay for that. But you're going to have curated living. You're probably going to have a mastermind Monday. You're probably going to have wine Wednesday. You're probably going to have a weekend a month where everybody goes and rents paddle boards and, and goes down the river and, and looks at the bats, right? If, I don't know if you know anything about Austin. <laughs> or, you know, maybe we go and go to another co-living house. Maybe there's a couple of these pod houses and everyone comes to a house one and has a pool party once a month or, you know, whatever. It's a place where people come not just to rent a room and do their own thing. They come, they have a community of like-minded people. Maybe there's goals that people set and they hold each other accountable to their goals while they're in that house. Maybe they're entrepreneurs and they have masterminds. And it's a place not just to go and sleep at night. It's a place to go and have community and have experiences but you can do it in Austin, then you can go do it in Boise, then you can go do it in Sedona, then you can go do it in Destin. Um, yeah, until That's you're done with so it, cool. you find somewhere you like and buy your own damn house. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> yeah. Building the, equity along the way. Yeah, if they choose to invest, they don't have to. That would be a separate investment. It would just be the vehicle that's buying all these houses. So, um, they don't have to, it'd be optional. You can be just an investor. You can be a renter and an investor or just a renter. No, no pressure or anything. It's just an option. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's a really cool concept. So nice work, Melanie, the coming out park ranger, submarines, Navy. <laughs> yeah. Into <laughs> cool funds. That's, that's great. People so, are like, Melanie, you've lived so many lives in your one lifetime. Like, ah, I just get bored. <laughs> I just change, pivot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's what humans do. We just change. Well, usually, I don't think all humans do. I think change scares some people, but I think that's where the growth happens for sure. So back to your freestyle fund, if you don't mind, I'm interested in how you mentioned you have a ton of different asset classes in that fund. How do you find assets um, that meet your requirements um, to go into that fund to give the opportunities to our passive investors? So um, conceptually underwriting real estate at the base is kind of the same, right? Cost, expenses, income, NOI, return. But every, every asset class also has its nuances that you kind of need to know and understand, right? Um, I have a partner on my fund. He is an institutional grade, formally trained underwriter. And he works, he has a, a W-2 for a large investment firm, large, really large. Uh, so I just get to tap into his knowledge. But he's limited as well. If we were underwriting a triple net, you don't just underwrite triple net to income and expenses, right? You need to understand that your tenants are good tenants, that they can afford your rent, all of that stuff. So it's an extra level of skill. So we kind of as learn as we go or we bring in an expert that can put eyes on it for us based on their experience. But for the most part, the underwriting is pretty pretty basic. And then 
you know, we do background checks. We look at track record. We have a lot of conversations with operators. I go to all the properties that I raise for. Um, the underwriting has to be great. Market, the economy, everything has to make sense or I don't do it. I'm very conservative in my underwriting and approach. Um, and I turn down 99% of the deals that come across my desk. So I'm very picky. Um, like office space, right? Office, I get opportunities for office, but my partner is like, I really don't like office and here's why. So every deal is different and I'll consider anything, but for the most part, if there's just any, even like a little itch or an inkling of, I don't feel right about this one, we don't do it. Yeah, I love that. It's kind of like, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah, I would rather do no deals for the rest of my life than one bad deal. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so how do you build relationships with like brokers? Like, how are you sourcing all these deals? Are they just coming to you or is it just relationships you've built over time that you get yeah. to pick and choose? I don't really deal with brokers because I deal with the people who already have the deal. And usually it's already under contract and they've spent all of the risk. They have all the, heart, the, uh, the risk money up, the capital, like the EMD, the expense of the, uh, inspections, the expense, whatever expenses, it costs money just to even start due diligence on an apartment. But as a capital partner, as a fund, I don't have any of that risk because if they lose the deal at the closing table, we get our check back, our wire back. And the, the most that I lose is a wire fee. So um, I have people that come to me with deals already ready. So how I find those people, I've attended a lot of conferences. <laughs> I've, especially during COVID when we went from go into conferences and go into in-person meetups and everything became virtual. My database for operators grew exponentially in 2020 and 2021. Conferences were online conferences I never would have gone to because they were too far, right? I could pay 300 bucks and do it virtually or I could spend 3000 bucks and fly somewhere and get a hotel and pay for the conference. So uh, yeah, 2020 and 2021, my database just blew up. And then it's just constant uh, networking from there. Referrals. Now I've been on a number of podcasts or, you know, interviews or on stage at, at conferences. And, and every time I do that, I meet operators, I meet investors. And yeah, it, it's a constant effort to grow the portfolio of, not portfolio, database, I should say. But at the end of the day, I don't want 800 operators. I want eight. I want a couple multifamily guys, a couple storage people, a build to rent guy, a couple debt note people, a couple triple net, and that's it. And I just keep doing deals with those same people. I don't want 8,000 people. I want eight. And then when it comes to investors, honestly, like you read my bio, boutique, I want to know everybody. I don't want 1,000 people. I don't want 1,000 investors. I want 30 households, maybe 50, and just keep doing deals with the same people over and over again. That's how I want to build my business. I want to know these people. I want to break bread with them. I want to drink a beer with them or maybe yeah. a wine. I want to travel with them. That's what I want. I want a lifestyle, not a transactional relationship or a business. Yep. And that's why you built your business to the start, right? It's all about your why. So you're building your business to your why. Yeah. In a sense. Yep. 
So from the passive investor standpoint, can you walk us through like the investment journey, basically all the way through like to the sale, like getting into the fund and then all of the during investment and then after like in your fund, like what does that look like? Yeah, everything will depend on the deals they choose to go into, how many and all that stuff. So uh, my fund is a 506C fund. So accredited investors only. I do once in a while have 506B deals, but those are going to be co-GP direct to sponsor type deals. But as far as the fund goes, uh, accredited investors only, they, you know, go to the website, log in, create a login. It's just like name and email. And uh, then they have access. They can see what deals are in there. Uh, and they, yeah, pick. Right now we have three investments in there that they can actually go in with their minimum of 50K and pick three. They could be already diversified in three deals because we always kind of overfund each position and hold back money that people can buy shares out from when they come into the fund. So it's a minimum of 50 to, to get in. But once you're in, you can do as little as $10 per deal. <laughs> like that's how much a share costs, 10 bucks. Kind of a waste of your time, I would say. But um, they could go in right now and put 20 in one, 20 in one and 10 in one and be diversified across three deals already. Uh, and then it just depends on, you know, if they keep buying deals and it's specific to their own deals. They can't exit whenever they want. They have to live out each deal's whole full cycle. Some will cash flow, so they might get distributions uh, into the fund and then they can either choose to pull the money out of the fund or just reinvest the money in the fund into a new deal. Or maybe it's maybe it's uh, something that doesn't get paid out to the end, like my build to rent deal right now. Nothing's cash flowing because it's dirt right? They have to build the houses and then it will start cash flowing and exit. So if it's like a development type of deal, there will be no cash flow, but at the end, they'll get a big lump sum. And every year, of course, you do your taxes. And because they're invested in the fund and not each individual deal per se, they get one K1. And it will reflect for every deal they're in, all their depreciation, all their cash flow, all in one K1. So that kind of makes it cleaner and easier for them. Um, but yeah, they're in the fund as long as, until their last deal goes full cycle. So if they're in 20 deals every year, three or four close out, you know, they have to wait until everything's done. As far as the fund goes, I'll probably only keep putting money into it for about two more years and then shut down the fund and then just everything will cycle until everything's um, full cycle. So five years is usually the length of the longest investment. I do have one in there that's projected at six, although we all think it'll, you know, sell in three to five years. But um, yeah, that's the journey. Um, each deal they're in, they get either a quarterly or monthly newsletter, financials, whatever. But we do all the our own auditing and quarterly financials internally. We do that on behalf of the fund, but investors, of course, are always welcome to do their own auditing and ask their own questions and they're they can be as involved as they want to be That's great that. transparent yeah i mean i'm i can only be as transparent as the sponsor is but if they're not transparent enough then i dig for numbers because i need to do my own audit so yeah whatever i come up with the investors have access to mm -hmm. so when say an investor puts 50 in, but 25 is in multifamily and the other 25 is in self-storage. When they do the value-add deal in multifamily and it sells in year three, 
do they see that gain on the K1 in year three, or do they only see it at when the entire fund is closed out? How does that work? Uh, deal by deal. Okay. Yeah, they'll see the gain in year three on the multifamily. Yeah, how this fund is different than a lot of funds. A lot of funds are blind funds, right? The fund is just buying and selling, buying and selling, and the investors are kind of getting whatever their pro rata shares of the whole portfolio. This mm -hmm. one is deal specific, and it will be reflected on their K-1 specific to each deal they chose to be in. I like that. Yeah, it's giving them an option to be diversified, but still holding that entity specific return profile. Yeah. That they and the only to. way it can happen is simply the software program that tracks that very complicated deal by deal uh, calculation. <laughs> I mean, it's a proprietary software company that I use. It's called avester.com. Mm -hmm. They're relatively new. I was kind of one of the pioneers, one of the first three or four funds that launched with them, but now they're kind of ramping up and there are other funds doing the same thing. But up until Avestor, I hadn't heard of a diversified, uh, customizable fund. I mean, I'm sure they exist in some like large institutions, or I'm sure some somewhere right. it exists, but it wasn't like a product that a normal person could participate in. I don't think. Yeah. Well, it's still relatively new, but it needed to be. It's old school to just do blind. Yeah. That's old school thinking. That's institutional. We're kind of like scrappy now, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we have the technology to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is why I love. And then we can offer the value directly to your investors as as those great opportunities come into fruition. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I think we're nearing the end of the show, but I do have one more question, if that's okay with you. Yes. All right. So what is the one question you wish I would have asked you? So I knew this question was coming, but I don't know what questions you were going to ask. So I, I think um, it's not going to be just a, a question, but I do think the why piece, right? Like, what's your why? Why are you doing what you do? Like, what does life really mean? What to me is this whole lifestyle design thing, right? So I would want a question directed toward, okay, why do you do real estate? Like, why besides the money piece is there a bigger reason and for me the reason is i want a certain lifestyle and i want to build wealth and i don't want to work for the rest of my life and i just want to do what i love it makes me happy so that's the well, question and the answer and the answer <laughs> i get both which is exactly what we wanted <laughs> well melanie thank you so much making me laugh always a good time um, where can investors and anyone who's interested in investing with you reach out and get a hold of you? So Freestyle Capital Group is my website. There's a couple ways to get through. There's the investor lounge. So that just puts you kind of in my database and it forces you to fill out the investor questionnaire so I can see where you fall. If you're accredited, not accredited. If you're not accredited, I need to like, I'm going to reach out. We're going to have a, a phone call. We're going to get to know each other. If you're accredited, then you'll automatically qualify for the fund and for the 506C deals. Or they can just email me, melanie at freestylecapitalgroup.com. I'm pretty easy to find. If they just Google me, they'll find all sorts of things like my date of birth and probably the last eight houses I lived in and <laughs> um, probably my social security and whatever. Uh, we don't live in, uh, yeah, 
you, you'll any, find uh, freestyle raps on YouTube from back in the day. Definitely not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm on like Instagram and LinkedIn. I mean, it's whatever, wherever people like to connect. I am not on um, Twitter or though I am on Twitter, I guess I don't really post on there. I'm not on TikTok. I should probably be on TikTok. Uh, yeah, I, I think you would crush it on TikTok. I probably would, but I just. All those dances. Oh, girl. (laughs) I don't know. I don't. I'm trying not to have another job and and keeping up with social media until I can hire it out to me as a job. Yeah. But it has a time and a place for sure. It's how you connect with people. And I'm okay with that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Melanie, thank you again. I'll put all of that info in the show notes. And to all of our listeners, thank you for your time. And we look forward to next time. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thanks, Melanie.